All right, so we are in a series on doctrine, and we've been in the series for a long time. We're getting ready to wrap up today, and then next Sunday is the last Sunday where we get to invest into this. Uh, and so, man, it's been a great series. I'm going to miss this series, uh, but it's been really excellent. And I, I think one of the reasons it's been so excellent is because it makes much of God. Right? I mean, the whole heart behind doctrine or theology is to make much of God. And I think it's so important for us as followers of Christ to make sure we keep that perspective because sometimes we see faith or religion as something for us when really we were made for Him, right? That's the whole heart behind it. In fact, when you go back to how we were made, I think back to something Ryan said, I think just a couple of weeks ago, that we were all made as worshipers. We are fundamentally built for and best at worship, right? That's how Ryan kind of kicked off his message on God transforms. And man, it was actually because he's dead on. If you wanted to go, what is the very essence of humanity? The essence of humanity is we are worshipers. And in our DNA, we are Trinitarian worshipers. We have the need for and the want of worshiping a triune God. That is the way that we are wired. But in Eden, in our rebellion, in us saying, God, I'm done with you. We're doing our own thing. That DNA was tarnished, but we remained worshipers of Trinity. It's just the members of that Trinity shifted. And those members became Kronos, Nike, and mammon. Right? Kronos, Nike, and mammon. We began to worship time. We love time. We need time. We want more time so we can do with our time what we want to do because our time is short. And we love Nike because Nike is the God of skill and strength and agility and, and, and all the things that make up for our talents. And so we want talent. We want to get better at things. We want better skills and better insight and better know-how so we can go do what we want to do. And then, of course, mammon, the god of money. Boy, that's clear. Right? That we started to hunger for what it can provide for me, what it can instill into my life. See, all three of these were the gods that we as human beings began to worship, different cultures, different ways, different times. It doesn't matter. It's all the same stuff. And these are fundamentally our idols. It is idolatry that we struggle with. And if we're uncertain what makes something an idol or makes something a god, this little functional god to get us out of our situational hells and into our practical heavens, right? That's what these things are. If if we wonder, well, what does that look like? Well, it's real simple. If we look at these and in any way say, my security is tied to that, my hope is tied to that, My happiness is tied to that. My sense of future is tied to that. My worth or importance is tied to that. Or, if the lack of those things bring discouragement, depression, anxiety, fear, grief, uh, just a general sense of uncertainty or depression overall, then those pretty much tip the scales to let us know those are our, our gods. If money makes me happy or sad, it it might be a God. If if, uh, I don't have enough time or I don't get to do what I want to do with my time makes me really discouraged or anxious, it's probably, probably a God. And so down the list it goes. And we can understand that that is kind of the, the, the ultimate problem 
And what a God ultimately does is it promises one thing, but it gives another. So it promises opportunity, but it gives oppression. It promises investment, but instead it just brings distraction. It promises blessing, but instead it offers a burden. And I don't know about you, but I find a lot of times that time, talent, and treasure are burdens more than blessings. They promise freedom, but instead they give me bondage. That is the challenge. And then tragically, it even shapes our focus in life. And the focus becomes me, then others, then other. Right? I mean, this is ultimately even what happened in Eden. When we went as these proper Trinitarian worshipers and we became contaminated Trinitarian worshipers, and we said, Kronos, and Nike, and Mammon, it also became, and it's all about me. Now, part of being about me is I like to help others. It makes me feel good when I help others. So it's me, then others. Other is, maybe there's a God, maybe there's not a God. Maybe it's the Christian God. Maybe it's some other deity or beings or aliens or whatever it is, right? So, other. But it shaped our, our focus. But see, there's this great thing that we read in the Bible. It goes back to even this whole series on doctrine that God pursues that God seeks, that God makes covenant, that God incarnates, that God goes to the cross and dies, that God rises so that God might transform. And so with that, there's this glorious intruder. The Holy Spirit steps into our life, and while we're worshiping at the throne of idolatrous ideas, He says, no, I'm going to invade your space, regenerate your heart and mind, give you a new way of seeing the world, and I'm going to change you through my gospel. I'm going to free you from that, man, because that is a drag. That is a burden. That is horrible. You do not want to be idolatry-driven. You want to be driven by the true Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so the Gospel rekindles us to this, this great truth that we were made to worship, and finally we can worship right, so we move from idolatry to theology. And theology is awesome. It's just the study of God. It's a God-centered life. I always try to define theology because I think sometimes as Christians we go, oh, that's the heady stuff. No, theology is the heart stuff. Right? It's the heart stuff. Theology says your heart has been transformed. He took out a stony one. He put in one that's flesh. Theology says your mind was corrupted, but now your mind is restored and you can have the mind of Christ. Theology says your strength was weak and the only strength you had was toward rebellion and sin and it was all about you. But then the strength of the Spirit invades your life and now you have strength for Him. Right? So all of these things are the liberation that comes where we are brought to being true worshipers again. And with that, our focus changes. And our focus changes to where it's about Him, then others, and then us. I mean, this is even fundamentally what Jesus talks about when he says, hey, you want to be the greatest? Be the least. Right? You want to be first? Be last. You serve all before yourself. All for him. Right? So the focus changes. Everything changes. Our, our, our worship is then disrupted from wrong worship to right worship. Unfulfilled chasing to satisfied just pursuit of the one true God. And, that, and that's what I love about the whole context of this. That it gets us back on track. 
And when we have that, that, that tracking that goes on, when we come to see what he's really up to and what he's really doing, our eyes are open to a whole world that we didn't know was there. As soon as it's not Kronos and Nike and Mammon that dictates things, but it's Father, Son, and Spirit, we're brought into some things where we go, oh, I'm behind the curtain now. I see what's really going on. And one of the great things we learn is that all I have... All that time, all that talent, all that treasure, all that I have that I thought I needed to work hard to get and work hard to maintain, I realize I have it because God gives it. I don't have it because I earn it. I don't have it because I maintain it. I don't have it because I invest in it. I have it because God gives it. God is the giver, the ultimate giver. I mean, think about just Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father is a giver. Acts 17. You see where Paul's there in Athens, Mars Hill, and he says, you know what? Did you guys realize that the very rain that falls, the very crops that come up, the very infrastructure of your existence, God gave? None of you here did that. That sounds like Obama just now. Um, (laughs) That wasn't even intentional. And maybe the president was right in a certain weird way. All right, so, um, you know, but he's like, you guys, that comes from God. That comes from the Father. And then the greatest blessing of all, the Father gives the Son. And then the Son comes into the world. And it says in John in a number of places, it's the Son that gives you life. It's the Son that gives you eternal life. And in John 15, going into John 16, it says, and then the Son gives you the Spirit. And you think about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit gives, oddly enough, it goes back up to the Father. He gives the Father in a strange sort of way to us. He gives us the capacity to know the mind and heart and thoughts of the Father, it says in 1 Corinthians 2. So the Father gives the Son, the Son gives the Spirit, the Spirit gives the Father. They're all givers. They give to us directly as well as giving us gifts and capacities and everything else. You look at Jesus uniquely. He's a unique giver. Think about the things that Jesus gives. He gives up his very life for us. He gives you his very righteousness and takes your very sin. That's a giver. And then he says, because you have my righteousness, you know what? We're going to share some seating space. You get to sit with me on my throne. And he says, and we're going to share that, 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 that glory that the Father and I had before that world ever was. I'm going to bring you into that. Not that you become a deity, but you get to share in that which we have always shared. That, that is a giving God. God is a giver. Jesus uniquely is a giver. And then I think about just in my own life. Um, everything I have is God-given. My wife, who is awesome. I, I didn't win her. She'll tell you that too. But um, no, it's like God, God gave her to me. She's, she's not my wife. She's God's gift to me as a wife. Right? My kids, God's gift. You are all blessings, really, even when dad flips out. All right. So um, gift. It's not my house. It's a gift. It's not my job. It's a gift. Redemption Church, it's God's gift to my life and others' lives. This country, it's God's gift. The list goes on and on where, you know what, I didn't really earn anything. And I don't deserve anything. 
And when we say every day we should count our blessings, that's no exaggeration. We should because God has given. And what that tells me is something very important to the topic today because God gives it. It means it is all on loan. It is all on loan. My wife's on loan, my kids are on loan, my home's on loan, my skill's on loan, my job's on loan, this church is on loan, this country's on loan. Everything is on loan. Since we're quoting political figures, Rush Limbaugh's right too. How about that? So, talent on loan from God. Right? He doesn't know how right he is. It's on loan. Right? Because everything is on loan from God. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10, 26 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything. See, this is what I mean about being brought behind the curtain. The the non-believing person simply looks at life in in, in this venue of, uh, I, I need enough time and enough talent to have enough treasure to live the kind of life I want, right? And I I am as prudent or imprudent with those things, and hopefully I get what I want, but if I don't, then I'm discouraged, whatever else. But the Christian, again, comes in behind the curtain, and they realize, oh, wait a minute, God, all he does is he transfers possession, but he doesn't give up ownership in the process. I'm not the owner, right? He's the owner. He gives me possession for a season, but it's his. And I should hold all of that with a very open hand. Now, because I'm called to have some possession, some stewardship, I need to be wise and obedient and everything else. But again, it's his. My hope isn't in what he gives. My hope is in the giver. My hope isn't if he takes it away. My hope is in the one who gives and takes away. It's always to be that way. We put way too much stock in what's in the hand, not the hand that it comes from. We need to put more faith in the hand that it comes from. Right? And I struggle with this as much as anybody. Right? I can lay awake at night worrying, wondering, pining away at fixing the future that isn't even there yet and probably won't even happen. And I forget the giver and I'm more focused on what I have that he gave me as though it's my job to secure it all. No, it's on loan. He gives it on loan. But sometimes, again, I think we forget that. I think we forget that it's on loan from God. We forget that we only have possession but not ownership. And we start pulling Bernie's everywhere. See, a Bernie is real simple. A Bernie is where somebody gives you something that's not yours, but you start spending it like it is yours. You start using it like it is yours. And then pretty soon, you're just the Christian equivalent of Bernie Madoff. You're pulling a Bernie. Right? It's not yours. It's his. It's all his. He gives it to you. Hold it lightly and loosely. Don't pull a Bernie. Nobody wants to be a Bernie. Bernie doesn't want to be a Bernie, right? So, don't be a Bernie. See, we should look at time, talents, and treasures not for self-indulgence, but rather we recognize that God has given them to us for selfless indulgence. Selfless indulgence because God is the giver. In fact, God gives so we can give like God. God gives to us so we can give like God. Think about what the Christian life is really all about, ultimately. The Christian life is, at its core, about each of us becoming more like Christ. 
So when we talk about stewardship today, right, we're really talking about sanctification, growing into the image of Christ, right? And what that at its core is all about is saying, I am replacing a this-worldliness for an other-worldliness. When Jesus says, hey, my kingdom is not of this world, if it was, then, hey, my followers would fight. He's saying, man, everything I'm about is like nothing here. And so the more we become like Christ, the more we let go of how everything here works and we start to embrace how everything there works, right? We're detaching. It's like we're learning. We're going through the Christian elementary school of Jesus and we're going grade by grade, letting go of one world and embracing another. And stewardship becomes, in a lot of ways, the real testing ground of that letting go of one and embracing another. And, and, and see, we've got to carve this up right, because sometimes what we do, even today, you're going to start already thinking about money. And listen, money is, I'm not even talking about money just yet. I'm talking about everything. But we'll think in terms of, well, I get 90 and God gives, gets 10, and that's, that's good stewardship. No, God gets 100. Everything is his. And then our role is to go, man, how do I relinquish the hundred more and more to what God wants me to do with my hundred? Because I'm letting go of this world and I'm embracing a new world. I'm letting go of the temporal and I'm taking hold of the eternal. See, when we start to do that, we embrace this expression of heaven on earth, right? Because again, we've had this impression of heaven in our soul. So the impression of heaven is expressed on earth by us going, all right, how do I start thinking heavenly to a world that needs to see expressions of heaven? Well, here's some ways we do it. First of all, we start to really have the mindset of stewardship versus ownership, right? And this is what I've been pushing. So I think you get the idea, but it's just that heart that says, you know what? Um, a steward realizes, you know what? Um, I have all of this from God, and so I leverage all of this with his priorities in mind, not my priorities. So I look at time, and I go, what does God want me to do with time? I look at talents. What does God want me to do with talents? I look at treasure. What does God want me to do with treasure? Because it's his time, it's his talents, it's his treasure. I, I want to think in terms of being a steward of what he has given me, so I ask those questions all the time. As opposed to I just settle it. God gets 10%, I get 90%, now we're doing our thing. No, it's not that. You go, no, I'm a steward of what God has granted. What are his priorities? They need to be my priorities. What this means is that we start to think of ourselves more as conduits and not cul-de-sacs. Right? It's not just all pulling up in us like a, a cul-de-sac. Besides, you don't want to be a cul-de-sac. It's a French word. You don't, you don't want that. Right? I'm not making fun of the French, just their beanies. That's all, right? But, you know, did you know cul-de-sac means butt of the sack? You don't want to be a butt of the sack, all right? That's literally what it means. Like, that's awesome. All right, so you don't want to be a butt of the sack, all right? You want to be a conduit that God can use to bless the world, that God can use to move the kingdom, that God can use to spread the gospel, that God can use to bring just joy to the lives of the joyless and hope to the, the needs of people who have no hope. I mean, that's what he wants to do with you. Conduit. So you should wake up every morning and say, all right, I don't want to be a butt of the sack. I want to be a conduit. How do I be a conduit, Jesus? Help me to not own. Help me to be a steward. All right, that's the heart we have. It's having the heart that says, I want to be contributing and not just consuming. 
I mean, consuming is easy. We live in something where we have consumer-driven, consumerism. I mean, consumer is a word we love. Contributing is not a word we love culturally. But that's what we're called to, right? Contribute versus just consume. In fact, the cool thing about this, though, when you start thinking like a steward, like a conduit, like one who wants to contribute, all of that selfless indulgence is actually gain. Right? It starts to sound like, oh, so you want me to give up more of my time? You want me to give more of my talents? You want me to give more of my treasures? And so I have less. No, I want you to do this. God wants you to do this. So you have way more. See, what we're talking about here is not giving up. We're talking about gaining. We're not talking about uh, divesting. We're talking about investing. Right? Because there's wise investment and there's foolish divestment. And a foolish divestment is basically, I'm going to get all I can out of this life now. You know what you get? Well, you get this life. And you know where it ends? Nowhere. With nothing. Zero. But if, God, ah, I want to be a wise investor, well then God says, man, there are some wise ways to invest. You start doing those things. Those things that are driven as stewardship type things, as conduit type things, as this contribution type of thing. And you realize, boy, you get a ton out of it. In fact, three things really quick I want you to realize about this. First of all, God supplies for you as you invest in him. God supplies for you as you invest in him. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It's just a promise. And I know you hear that on TVN or some charismatic wingnut or whatever else, that trying to get your money, and you go, oh, sow that seed, you know, and like, that's, no, that's a Paul thing. They're just wingnuts, all right? Let's separate this out. Paul, solid. TBN, some of them, dipsticks, all right? So, and I know that's not nice, but it's true, all right? There's a difference between nice and true, all right? So, um, take it up with Jesus, all right? So, uh, but it's true. For them, it's, the motive isn't what Paul's motive is here, right? It's different. But, but Paul says, here's the truth. You, you do this, God's going to bless you going to bless you. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's a lot of alls and everies. And he says, I promise I'm going to do that. If you, if you reap sparingly, you know what? That's what you're going to get back. That's it. But you go, man, I'm all in. It's like poker. I got 21. I'm in. He says, man, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to give you everything you need and even more, right? I'm going to supply for you. It says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply. I'll give you what you need, plus I will multiply. He doesn't even say add to it. He says multiply it, right? It says, and multiply your seed for sowing. Increase the harvest of your righteousness. See, when you're investing the different things, you're just... You're investing it into him, and he sees that, and he goes, oh man, because you're investing into me, I invest into you, right? I invest heavily into you as you invest into me, because he sees you as an excellent investment. If you're not an excellent investment, he doesn't invest the life. Like, okay, well, you're, you're a risky investment, so I don't know. 
You're a, you're a blessed investment. I invest. So God supplies for you as you invest in him. Second thing, God encourages all as you invest in him. Right? And he encourages you. He encourages others around you. He encourages the world as they see you. All of that can be an encouragement as you invest in him. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 11 to 13. Paul says, you, if you do this, will be enriched in every way. Right? You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. I mean, again, he says, you're going to be blessed for this. You're going to have that sense of, man, this just feels right. I feel fulfilled. There is a richness in my heart. Because I look at my life and say, it's all God, so how do I give it all to God? Right? He says, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So God gets the credit, right? God is thanked for when we make the investments. So it's for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So you're encouraged, God is thanked, and others are encouraged as well. Right? So man, this is just robust. This is a great thing. All are encouraged because you're investing into him. And then third, God invests for you as you invest in him. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. See, I love this because Jesus gives us real great certainty about where God is making the ultimate eternal investment for the investments we make here and now. And, and you know, sometimes, like, when we have, like, tough economic t- times, like right now, uh, I'll be watching the news or listening to the radio, whatever, and it'll be like, you know, are, are things unstable and the future is dangerous? And then all of a sudden they hear G. Gordon Liddy, invest in gold, right? You know, so, like, love G. Gordon Liddy. His voice is awesome. All right, so, um, and, and, and it's like, here's the only certain thing. Invest in gold. And then Jesus is like, yeah, we use that to pave streets here. Um, you know, like, like, okay, if you want asphalt, all right. Or you make the, the bigger, greater, more secure investment, right? And, and that's kind of the point of this. When we invest here and now in ways that God would have us invest, it is the truest investment. It's the most secure investment. It's the safest investment. It is the investment with the greatest yield, as we'll see in a couple of minutes. It's just saying, hey, I I want to make that investment. In fact, I think it was Randy Alcorn that said, you know what? It's true. You can't take it with you, but you can send it forward. Right? You're never going to take a single item from this planet, but you can send it forward. And you send it forward. It's real simple. It's just an account exchange with a currency kind of transfer. Right? Where you, you take the stuff that is indigenous to this earth and you use it in redemptive ways and you sow that in the name of Christ for the good of his gospel, for the expansion of his kingdom, and all of that starts to just like ching, 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 up in heaven. That's what it does. So you're taking all the stuff of this earth that can't go and you're just converting it to the stuff that, that goes and stays. In fact, Jim Elliott said it this way just before he died. He is no fool who gives what he cannot gain or cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So you're just using the commodities of this planet. 
And you're saying, cool, how do I use these commodities with kingdom priorities to be true savings? In fact, in, in Matthew 19, 26, Jesus literally, if you do the math, what, what he says, what Jesus is literally saying is if you make that investment, you get a 10,000% return. I mean, that, that's, that's better than anything you're going to do here, man. Especially all of you that got Facebook. All right, so um, it's just not going to pay. Not like what Jesus says is going to pay, right? And so I think even the most prudent person in the room who believes in wise investing should look at this and say, yep, that is the wisest investment I can make. Leveraging everything here for everything there. That's the heart. So to get this, we're going to move relatively quick, but I want us to get this by understanding there's an economy and a currency of heaven both an economy and a currency. And economies, they all have rules and standards by which the economy has to function under or it doesn't work the way it's designed, right? I mean, we understand that. We see that in our own culture. And so even when it comes to the economy of eternity or the economy of heaven, there is sort of rules and standards. And the rules and standards is that you do, why you do, and ultimately how you do. That you do, why you do, and how you do. And under this, there, there are dispositions. Really, that's what we're getting at. And, and for some, the dispositions are habitual, needful, and dutiful. Right? So they go, that I do it, well, I do it habitually. Why I do it, well, I do it needfully. And how I do it, well, I'm dutiful about it. Now, these things aren't necessarily bad, bad. But they're not necessarily good either. Because, again, it kind of has this thing of, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what we have to do. This is what's just expected of us as we think about being stewards of all that God has given us. Like, I know it's, it's, it's good, it's healthy, it's like eating Brussels sprouts and exercising and jogging, and I have to. But that's not the heart that God wants. I mean, this is not what God is interested in. You go back to, like, that scene with the widow and her two mites. Well, there's a bunch of rich Pharisees rolling in, and they're like, cha-ching, baby! But they did it, again, habitually, needfully, dutifully. And you know what? That's not savings eternally. Don't think that just because you gave a buck or you gave a minute or you gave a talent in the name of God that it automatically goes into some heavenly storehouse because the attitude attached to that is huge. Right? Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, wood, hay, and stubble, or silver, gold, and precious stones. The attitude drives. So it's like, yep, yep. Got to give time to God. God wants time. I wish I could use my time for other things, but God needs my time. God doesn't need your time. What he really needs is a good attitude. What he loves is a good attitude. And so we realize that the real heart, the real economy is not just habitual, needful, and dutiful, but it's rather faithful, fruitful, and worshipful. Right? That's always going to be the difference. Right? That's the heart. And, and, and so I, I, I plug that and push that because I want to make sure that if you go, yeah, I get this. I want to invest. I want to make sure you are investing for real. It's not just enough to give things away. It's that you give them because you delight in God. You give them because you're appreciative of the gospel. You give them because you know it's an eternal reward and you love that idea. It doesn't mean that giving is always easy. We're going to see that in a minute too. Sometimes it's very hard. But that deeper core thing is, man, but I am faithful, fruitful, and worshipful because God matters to me that much. 
See, to do this is really to find that cheer in the midst of whatever it is we give. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Whatever it is you're giving, right? Time, talent, treasure, whatever it is, he wants her to be cheer. How do you have that kind of cheer? You've got to set your sights really high. For, or Colossians chapter 3 says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above and not are on the things that are of the earth. I mean, you just got to set your sights higher to have joy. In fact, it really comes down to life in the Spirit, Romans chapter 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Man, if you want to be faithful and fruitful and worshipful, you set your mind on the things above, not the things below. You seek to have the mind of the Spirit, and that gives life and peace. And from that, you, you will give everything, anything, joyfully. But it has to come from the Spirit, setting your mind on the things of Christ. That produces the joy. If it's like, no, I'm not very Spirit-minded, and no, I'm not really setting my sights too high... Anything you give is going to feel like a burden, or you're going to say, um, uh, I gave that to you. As opposed to, God has given this to you through me. We'll think we're the giver. As opposed to, he's the giver through us. So, faithful, fruitful, and worshipful, if that is the heart, or that's at least the place we're praying to be, then we can start trading in the currency of eternity. And the currency of eternity is the three things we keep mentioning all morning long. The first currency of eternity is time. Time. It says, look, I look at my watch too. All right. Um, let's make sure I've got the time. All right. So look carefully at how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You have. I have, every single week, 6,720 waking minutes. Every one of those is a commodity. Every one of those. Every one of those can either slip through the hourglass of time and be gone, or it can be caught and invested. Right? It either just becomes history or it becomes eternity. Every minute. So we have to start thinking that way. Don't start thinking in terms of the world is secular and sacred, and when I come to church, that's sacred. And when I go to work, that's secular. When I'm in the neighborhood, that's secular. When I go to school, that's secular. No, it's all sacred. Every moment, every minute is an opportunity to say, I give my time for Christ. I want to be intentional about my time. I want to figure out how I can get more of Christ into the world around me. I want to figure out how I can be more of that magnet for people to be safe with. That magnet that people go, man, I have a problem. You seem to have a solution. You seem to be caring, kind, nice, whatever. You have hooks in the water all over the place by leveraging your time. And every morning when you wake up, what your first prayer should be is, Jesus, may I use my time wisely because the days are evil. I think part of the problem is we don't embrace that the days are truly evil. And even when we do, then we just complain about it. Oh, it's so bad. But what are we doing with the time? We each have a little bit, a little sliver that's been allotted. How do we use the time? Right? And, and, and again, I, I think in some of this, it, it's not going to always be easy. I think we need to use time two ways. We have to use time missionally, and we have to use time theologically. 
Everything goes back to missional theologians. So you're looking missionally at how you can use your time by saying, again, how can I be a magnet? How can I go ahead and be an encouragement to people? How can I get the gospel out there in creative ways? How can I use the tools that are at my disposal to invite people to hear about Jesus because the days are evil and the time is short? How can I do it missionally? How can I use my time theologically, which is how do I use my time more effectively for the church? And I'll be honest about this issue of the church. Um, you know, sometimes we as Christians approach church like, ah, there's some stuff I don't like, there's some stuff I don't really want to do, there's some stuff I don't appreciate, but we forget that Jesus is like, yeah, I bled out for that. You know, I'm glad you all have opinions about what you don't like, but oh, by the way, I died for that. Uh, the things that you don't like about the church, that's my wife you're talking about. I mean, that's how Jesus feels. And I do the same thing. I have my complaints or whatever else. Or I have things where I'm like, that's not my thing. And it's fine if it's not my thing, but pretty soon, if not my thing is everything, that's problematic. Or if my attitudes towards certain things just sound negative, like, honestly, I hear, I've heard... I've been a pastor for almost 20 years now, and here's my favorite. I've heard this in every church I've been in, and I hear it more than once a year. It's, um, hey, you should serve in children's ministry. Uh, yeah, I just don't like other people's kids. You should pro- plug into women's ministry. Yeah, I just don't like women. Nice. I don't like dogs dressed in sweaters, but who cares? You know, it's like... Um, and, and more than that, it's, it's funny how those statements kind of just, just go by, and nobody's, like, offended by that. Like, if I came up here and I said, yeah, I just don't like our country, people get offended. I said, I don't like half the populace of a church, it's fine. No, that's not healthy, it's not good. In fact, I would say, if there's a group you don't like, all the more, that's probably the group you should say, Jesus, help me, and I want to go serve them so I can fall in love with them. I want to run with them so I can embrace them, right? And in the process, you might find it's kind of cool. For example, I'll tell you what I don't like. I don't like rap. I don't like hip-hop. I don't like middle-aged white guys that pretend to be black and rap, Toby Mac. And yet... Honestly, when a white guy in his mid-40s gets up there, yo, gee, what's going on, peeps? Like, a white guy working really hard to be a black guy is what's happening, right? So, um, but I went the other night and I had a good time. Ultimately, if I open myself up to listen to a white guy that pretends to be a black guy that raps to me and music I don't like, I might like it. All right, so, <laughs> my point, make the investment. Right? Make the investment. The currency of eternity is time. You go, man, I don't like being in a small group. I'm a private person. I'm an introverted person. I don't like to be in small groups. But boy, it's the investment. Right? That's how we do it. So, first currency is time. Second currency is talents. Talents. And under talents, I would say they can be bestowed gifts, natural talents, uh, kind of cultivated skills, whatever else. And if you look at your life, any one of us in this room, you probably have between, eh, we'll say one and five maybe gifts given by the Spirit, five to 30 natural talents, 30 to 100 cultivated skills. These are all commodities again. Just like every minute's an opportunity for investment, every gift and talent and skill is an opportunity for investment. So you need to look at your world and say, man, how can I make the investment? Everything is sacred, right? I want, I want to give it. 
whatever it is. So don't think, well, hey, you know, my, my skill is computer programming. I can't use that for the kingdom. Sure you can. There's tons of opportunities for that. Well, I'm kind of a finance guy. How can I do that? Man, there's tons of nonprofits that need help. You know, tons of ministries that could use your expertise. You go, well, I, I'm, I just like to do crafts. We have a women's ministry. I mean, there's, you know, it's like, there's, oh, come on. I, I said that in the nicest way. You people, Jesus said, do not judge. Lest you be judged, all right? Yeah, you try getting up here like 45 Sundays a year and not say something stupid at some point. All right, so. Um, but I'm kind of standing behind that one still. All right, so. And send your emails to ryan at myredemptionchurch.com. Org. All right, so uh, currency is talent. Just whatever your talents are. you got tons of talents. How can you use your talents? And then, of course, the last currency of eternity is treasure. Treasure, right? I mean, I, I figure we have enough distance in this room. You know, you got your, your, your kid that makes five bucks a week in allowance, and I know there's probably some people in this room that make between, you know, three and five thousand a week. Maybe even more, right? But you got there's distance there. But every one of those dollars is a commodity for investment. Every one of them, right? And so we want to look in that spirit and think about it in those ways. Because, again, God sees this in a particular light. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, for, as the, uh, for the Christians, the rich Christians in this present age, he says, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on uncertain riches, but only on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. It says they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I love that because it says, man, if you want true life, that's true life. Right? Investing your time into kingdom things, that's true life. Investing your talents into kingdom things, that's true life. Investing your treasures into kingdom things, that's true life. And when somebody says, hey, are you planning for the future? My question is, I hope you're planning far enough out. Right? If, you, if you're only planning for 65 to 95, that's not good distance planning. Right? We should plan for the future future. Right? And see, I encourage greater gain. I think what this passage is saying here is that money can buy you happiness and fulfillment. It can. I totally believe that, provided it's invested properly. It'll totally buy you happiness and fulfillment. But if you want money to be your happiness and fulfillment, you're going to be sadly, sadly bummed out. But if we invest it, man, it's a treasure. It's fulfillment. See, all of this comes back to the heart of it all, right? The heart of this investing of time, talents, and treasures. And I see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I love this passage because it, it tells us something that we're probably not going to like necessarily. Paul writes this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. 
For they gave according to their means, and I can testify beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. See, our propensity is going to say, I want to figure out a formula. Um, I want some kind of... um, percentage or some structure, messianic median or whatever you want to call it. You know, we're going to want something like that. And yet right here, it gets back to the heart where they're like, man, we were begging to do it. We had nothing and we were figuring out how to do it with nothing. Right? That's just passion. That's just heart. That's tenacity. That's worship. That's faith. But here's what I want to say, and this is what you need to notice. Nothing about this was convenient. Nothing about it was unaffecting. Nothing was without sacrifice. It was intrusive to their lives. It was inconvenient to their needs. It impeded their wants. It imposed on their schedule. And it was investment. And that was their heart. They saw investment. They welcomed investment. They begged to invest. Now, Is that where our hearts are at? Maybe for some of us, yes, and for some of us, no. And I think the first thing, the first place to make the investment is to start praying, Jesus, help me to have a beggar's heart. Begging you, Jesus, how can I give my time? How can I give my talent? How can I give my treasure to things you care about? Right? That stewardship God has given so we can give. We're letting go of this worldliness. We're embracing another worldliness. We want the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, the strength of Christ, the soul of Christ to be set in us. And the way we display it, the way we invest it, is we give it. We give it. That's the heart and that's the principle. Now, to kind of maybe give it some practicality, um, I want to just briefly talk about redemption. Redemption Church and stewardship, not the theology of, which would be awesome, but we're talking about the church. All right. Um, When you came in this morning, um, and this is just one sliver of the pie, all right? So uh, we gave you this little sheet right here. Hopefully you'll pull it out right now. On one side it says, giving God my time and talent. On the other side it says, giving God my treasure. Um, Now, church is not the only place for time, talent, and treasure. Like I said, God wants 100% of your life to give 100% of you to 100% of everything he cares about. And so that's when you go to work and when you're in the cul-de-sac, neighborhood-wise, not butt of the sack. Um, you know, uh, when you're at Starbucks, when you're at school, wherever, you should be thinking, all right, Jesus, how do I invest my three T's to whatever you have me doing? But uniquely as a church, we wanted something today that you could go, oh, okay, I see maybe some things that I could do. So on side A, the giving of my time and talents, you see that we have some current serving needs. We're just, there's things that, that we need. And I know um, most of the time people will read this and go, huh, somebody should do that. Um, yes. All right. So something for you to think about and pray about, especially those who go, I don't like other people's kids. Well, look at that. We've got like 15 slots for people like you. Um, how about that? Um, that's awesome. Uh, you know, those with a green thumb, I don't have that. We need two gardeners at the hub, you know? Uh, people go, man, I am not a teacher. I'm just like a grunt work person. Dudes, there's tons of need for setup and tear down. We need that. 
right? So it's a way for you to do that. Also, I want you to start thinking about this and praying about this. When we get to January, we're hoping to go to two services as a church. There's a number of reasons for that. We're going to need more help, right? And if you go, I, I, I just think somebody else is going to do it. I'm just going to sit on my hands. Um, that's what everybody's thinking. Somebody else is going to do it. No, we, we need you to do it. Right? So those are going to be, and, and the needs are going to go up if we do that. And you go, and that's investment. Right? Making a church that's welcoming and comfortable and accessible to the non-church and all of that. You get to be a part of that. Your friendliness on Sunday morning makes a huge difference. I'm also encouraged under the time and talent stuff, man, get in a regroup. If you're not in a regroup of some kind, either figure out a way to get in it or come to us and say none of the times work and we'll see if we can create a group for the time that does work for you. Because that's another way you give your time and your talent. You run with other Christians and you have something to contribute. You have spirit-given gifts that the body needs. Right? So that's a way you can do it. And so, man, we, we hope and pray you give your time, you give your talent to Redemption Church. Because we could use it. Right? And so you can think about how you can invest it. On the other side, it says, giving God my treasure. All right, and, and what we've done here is we've given a list of just different ways that you can give. Now, real quick as a, a, a kind of a FYI, you know, the good news for redemption is that we have all the money we need. That's the good news. Bad news, it's in everybody's pockets, all right? So <laughs> what, what we need, bring that together. All right, so... Um, that is awesome. All right, so, and you know, I already know some people are getting all agitated maybe or kind of uncomfortable. He's talking about money. Then it might be an idol. If you're uncomfortable, it might be an idol. Money shouldn't be an uncomfortable thing to talk about. Um, really, it shouldn't. And so uh, the reality is, you know what? Uh, people are asking already, like, well, what's redemption's future and what are we going to do and where are we going to land and everything else? And, and I'll be really honest, pretty much from month to month, redemption just sort of gets by. You know, we're not storing up a bunch of money. We're not saving really anything. We pretty much, what it costs to run is what we see comes in by God's grace and everything else. And we're going into one year. In fact, in a couple of Sundays, the, the, 30, the 30th of this month is a big celebration Sunday. Redemption's one year. Very cool. Don't clap, though, at all. We're going to save that for the 30th. Um, but um, don't want that. But uh, one year, and in that whole year, we've never asked for money. Period, really. I mean, I think maybe at a meeting one time, we just said, hey, we're going into this season or whatever else. It was the end of last year where we just knew it was the end of the year stuff. Uh, but we just, we haven't made much of that. But I'm just letting you know, uh, if redemption wants to do everything it, it feels called to and led to do, uh, the, the giving just simply has to increase to do that. Uh, for a couple of different reasons. Uh, you know, one is when redemption first started, uh, we instantly started shackled financially. And there are still things that we have to take care of financially that just sort of keep us shackled at this point. And so if we're going to get through that as rapidly as possible, hey, giving has to go up to get through that as rapidly as possible. Another thing we've been talking about is we'd really love to bring on another pastor that focuses on all things community, all things equipping, regroups, all of that. Man, the, the pastoral staff as it is feels the load of that. We're trying to fill in those gaps as best we can. But to get there, hey, the giving's just got to go up. To fulfill some of the ministry things we want to do. The giving's got to go up. If we want a facility in the future in any conceivable capacity, we have to start saving money. So, again, the giving just has to go up. No matter how you slice it, uh, we're getting by fine. But that's what we're doing. We're getting by, right? We don't have flexibilities. 
And so we want to start pounding those responsibilities we incurred at the birth of redemption. We want to take, get those taken care of, and we want to start saving for the future. And so as you're looking at your treasures that God has given you, I'm, I'm asking you and praying as one of the pastors and elders here that you would seriously consider about that kind of unique investment at redemption. Because I really believe God is doing some great stuff. We're seeing some great fruit. We're going, getting ready to go into year two. And we have lots of dreams. And we're asking Jesus to make that happen and make that happen through you. Right? So as I say that, you'll see on this uh, little card here, there's ways that we've shared with you how you can make that happen. You can give in person on Sunday mornings. You can give online. We do have the capacity for that through the city, and that's all secure. So that's a way you can do that. And then also it's just shop and give. Uh, this is some, some of it's new and some of it's not new. Uh, you might be familiar with the program known as Scrip, uh, where you can buy gift cards out here for Oh, man, hundreds of different places. And we receive back as a church a percentage of the proceeds. And so this is stuff you're already doing, right? You're already, here's the deal. We're going to end this service and you're going to go to second service at Extapa. Um, and the great thing is if you get a Extapa gift card, 10% of your lunch comes back to us. What a blessing. We get your regurgitation. So um, I should plan these things. All right, so... Um, but that's the way you can do it. So you, Safeway, I mean, if, if you know you're going to spend 500 bucks at Safeway this month, which I'm certain you probably will, um, get a Safeway card. Use that. You fill up at Safeway. Use, I mean, there's all sorts of options. And so that's going to be out there every week. You can do that. That's great. There's other things here as well that are just tools for you to use so that it benefits redemption uh, financially as well as you as an individual giving your time and talent to the advancement of the kingdom here in our city because we exist for the good of our city uh, by the grace of God for the glory of God. That's our heart as a church. And so these are just some tools for you to use, some things for you to think about. Um, and man, letting you know, and we'll, know, you'll, we'll let you know more here at the celebration, the one-year celebration, just kind of the vision and heart of redemption moving forward. But these are things, again, for you to have and for you to know. And so I close with getting you to ask the big question. And the big question I want you to ask, and I don't want you to ask it just today, I want you to ask it every single day. The big question is, God, what do you want me to do? Every day, God, what do you want me to do? Great news is he's told you a lot already. But I think there is value in asking that. And you're asking that so you can give what he's given to you. And you can give it as an investment toward the kingdom, as a blessing to your soul, as a storehouse for eternity, as aid to others, as an antidote for idols, and as worship to God. Let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for our time together. I thank you for what stewardship really is. That it's really us acknowledging that everything comes from you. And I pray that we will be like, like those in Macedonia who were literally just upended and, 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 and begged to invest into that which you care about. May we be investors. May we be shrewd. May we be wanters. I, mean, I think it's great, Jesus, that, that we would want great gain. I just pray that we want great gain with the gain that lasts as opposed to lesser things that do not last and will not fulfill and just leave us wanting. 
May you be our all-sufficient satisfaction. In your name, amen.